everything happens, where all things come together, and what can only be described as perfect chaos. Episode 7. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Perfect Chaos Podcast. It's Rhonda and David. This week our topic is dual enrollment, dual credit, and advanced placement. We're talking about these opportunities that combine high school and higher education to provide a higher level of learning and college credit while the student is still in the high school setting. Based upon a quick look, these programs have been growing in popularity for years. Do they offer the best option for everyone? So welcome back to another week. Yeah. It's fun. <laughs> Do this later in the evening, so I think our coffee, uh, your coffee is wearing down. My today. coffee is definitely worn down. Well, so, you know, uh, anytime we get into this topic, uh, our conversational juices get flowing. So we just have a, a few questions here today, right? Right. And we know a little bit about this. We tried to tease a potential guest for this week, last time, but uh, she's at work. She's at work. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the life of kids getting older, you know, they don't go to our schedule quite as much as they used to. It's okay, though. We can deal with that. Yes. All right. So, getting into everything where we're mashing college and high school together at the same time. So, not only do we have a, a child that's already. Uh, doing this in our household. You've been in an institution where you were participatory in this kind of education, and, and my institution has uh, looked at it as well, but it's something that is uh, out there. Advanced placement is something that's been around for many years, and, and dual enrollment, dual credit has as well, but they're, 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 they're starting to continue, they're starting to continue, they're continuing to grow in their popularity, and we're actually seeing them uh, spin off a little bit. So let's first start off by just defining what is each one of these. So I'm going to go based on my understanding of the definition because I really don't have definitions pulled up. And then uh, you can kind of expand upon that or not. So I'm first going to start off with just the advanced placement. A lot of people know AP uh, as it's commonly coined by students and, and families at the high school level. And that's just basically a high school class that has a higher curriculum that ends up taking a test at the end, the advanced placement exam, and those opportunities give you can give you college credit if that institution that you're going to recognize is that level. And Do, if you score high enough on that test. And you score high enough, yes. And you ha there has to be the test with that one. It's not a... And that's like the other two, you have to pass the test. You can have A's in AP classes, and if you don't, the test is scored on a one through five in most places. I mean, most places mandate that you have at least a three. That's what's considered passing. And usually in the high school setting, they tend to get something a little bit extra for that. They usually get a, a, a GPA point bump with those as right. well. So your normal B would get an A rating. Uh, so you, uh, a lot of places will do that as well with that advanced placement, just because it's a higher level curriculum than that normal high school curriculum they're in. Dual enrollment and dual credit uh, tend to go hand in hand. A lot of people talk about them uh, really kind of at the same breath, 
Um, but really, they have kind of two different means. Dual enrollment just simply means that a student is enrolled in a high school and a college at the same time. And those classes may or may not mean that they get credit at the other level. Where dual credit means you're getting credit at both levels for that class. And I see the smile over there, so go right ahead. So dual credit is a high school course taught at a higher level, but it's still taught by the high school instructor. And in this state, dual credit courses, other than just a few exemptions, there is still a test that the Institution of Higher Learning uses that you have to pass because it's not taught by one of the uh, higher ed faculty members. It's taught by your high school teacher. Dual enrollment is where either the high school students come into the college setting or the college professor goes to the high school. Uh, I've done it both ways, um, but it is taught by the professor then, and the grade is the grade. It's not necessarily sitting with a test at the end to make sure that you get the college credit. So that's kind of the difference when you look at dual credit versus dual enrollment. One is taught by the high school teacher, the other is taught by the college professor. Now, you can have a dual enrollment course that is still taught by your high school teacher if your high school teacher is qualified and has been hired to work as an adjunct faculty member for the Institution of Higher Education. All right. So getting those definitions out there, we kind of take a look at uh, what is available. So one of the, some of the things that we're starting to see is advanced placement used to be dependent on what school you went to, uh, and even then they were still very limited. The, the curriculum was out, but now we're starting to see those classes expand more and more. And there's a ton of AP classes now. Um, what's interesting to me is out of the three AP is the one that has the most, um, oh, I can't even think of the word. It may or may not be counted by your college. Even if you pass the test, they don't have to accept it. Whereas with dual credit and dual enrollment, once you've completed what is mandated for that course satisfactorily, you have the college credits. They may transfer in as an elective but you have the credit. AP doesn't necessarily give you college credit. It's going to be up to your institution. And so that's actually a very good point because when uh, this, uh, really this summer, when our daughter was doing a lot of virtual college visits, uh, she, she had a tremendous list. And But that was one of the questions that she did ask because uh, her setting, she's actually been a, a an advanced placement student and has actually been duly enrolled at two different institutions. And so one of the questions was, were, would these other universities accept those credits? And a lot of the dual enrollment, they would. The dual credit, they said possibly, and they would have to look at how it would be transferred in. And some of them said, yes, we would take AP. Some of them said we would have to look at AP. And then there were some that just flat out said, we don't take it at all. Right. And it's very, it's really interesting um, cause you know, I, well, you know this, everybody else might not know this, but I have helped build a couple of different dual enrollment, dual credit programs at this point. Um, I totally built one from the ground up, um, at one of my previous jobs from my previous institution. I built the dual credit and the dual enrollment side 
and where I am now, I built our the very first class of its kind, dual enrollment class in the state. Um, and I did that for uh, <coughs> an education class. So I've, I've kind of seen both sides of it. Interestingly enough, I get more excited when I have a student who has taken AP courses. Like when I'm advising somebody and they're coming in as a new student, if they've taken AP courses, whether or not they get the college credit for it doesn't even bother me. I like for them to have had an AP course. I actually like it if they've had it and they didn't get the credit because it's almost like it's prepped them for college uh, because there is so much more of um, just the critical thinking aspect. Those AP tests are very different than normal tests. It's a lot, especially, you know, the ones our daughter has taken, it's a lot of writing. It's a lot of critical thinking. Um, so I'm kind of becoming more of a fan of AP classes than what I was at one point just because I feel like they prep kids for college in some ways. So one of my next questions that I have on this is, you know, what are those benefits of each of them? I, okay. <laughs> so you heard my benefit to AP. It's, I, I like the fact that they come in, they've had some of those exams that are more of an essay based style, more of a critical thinking role, that kind of thing. Um, when you look at dual credit and dual enrollment, I like dual credit courses for junior level in high school, so 11th grade and below. Um, and I like that because dual credit, it's kind of dependent on whether you pass that test at the end. It's not necessarily always going to hit your GPA, your college GPA. So I like that because it does kind of give maybe a little bit less of a consequence if you screw up. Um, it is a little more comfortable because it's in your high school. It's taught by your high school teacher. You know, you're, it's the same as, as going to a high school class. It's just going to be a little bit uh, of a higher level, should be higher level learning. Um, I love dual enrollment. If you take dual enrollment courses with the institution you plan to go to, uh, I, I think they help prep you. Um, but with the institution I'm at now, we have done dual enrollment at the school. And then this, this semester, actually, due to the pandemic, um, we actually started before the K-12 schools started, uh, or at least one county. So their kids came to us. Uh, and there is something really nice about bringing them in when they're seniors in high school. Uh, letting them, they got the campus tour, they got to walk around, they got to see, they got to experience college classroom. Uh, but once you hit dual enrollment, uh, if you screw that up, you screw it up. Like it's going on your GPA. Uh, and I'm, that's why I really kind of like that more for seniors. Um, I feel like they need to be a little bit more aware. And you mentioned the consequences to that. So a lot of times when they're in that high school setting, they're really kind of geared toward that uh, environment. And sometimes the college structure isn't there. That social development isn't there. And we're going to talk about that here in a minute. But it isn't there. So they may not take the consequences 
uh, as well as you mentioned, you know, it hits the GPA, but now that has uh, even greater effect uh, here in Tennessee with Tennessee Promise. You know, they come in and one of the things they have to have is maintain a GPA right. above a certain uh, uh, level. And now with that, one of the things that they're seeing is the GPA now kicks them out right. because of a dual enrollment class that they've taken. I really think all three of these can be really beneficial um, to high school students. Um, but I do feel like, especially when we get to the dual enrollment side, we need to really be looking at those students. And it maybe it's based a little off of a little more than just, hey, I want to take a dual enrollment class. Um because it can be very detrimental to them. Uh, not only will they lose Tennessee Promise, they can lose their hope before they ever get it. And by hope, I'm those of you that aren't uh, in Tennessee, that's the Hope Scholarship, which is our lottery-funded scholarship. And when you lose that, that's really, really hard for you to ever get back, if you can get it back. So there are some, some things to that. Um, but I do think they can be beneficial. Uh, Especially if you've got kids that that really know what they want to do. Um, well, that's one of the things that a lot of these institutions, the high, the high school institutions, are looking at is uh, having those students not only graduate with college credit, but the fact that they are workforce ready, that they're able to go out and do something. And so, some of the ones that we see that are in those are something like a CNA or uh, some different programs that they can leave with a license. They can turn around and have a decent job. Right out of high school. Right. Uh, and then there's progression. So like CNA is one of those that are out there, the certified nursing assistant. And they can go on, transfer on to uh, the next level institution and, and look at um, RN or Associates of Science in Nursing, etc. Now, one of the places that you came from had actually initially uh, been generated to develop pathways for those students into multiple different areas, including right. like agriculture, uh, criminal justice, and, and such, uh, and looking at some of the newer pathways, such as cybersecurity and those as well. Mm -hmm. And they actually, that school was built initially with the, on the premise that students would graduate with their associate's degree when they graduated with their high school diploma. Um, they just had to do a little bit of extra over the summers. Um, that school does not do that any longer, to my knowledge, and I'm not going to swear this is true, but I think they only had one student that actually did that, that actually finished her associates at the same, well, she actually finished her associates before she got her high school diploma. Right. Um, so, you know, that's a lot. I mean, we, we started kids there freshman year, they were taking dual credit. We didn't have AP courses, we had dual credit and dual enrollment, and that was it. So we take a look at this, and some of the things that we, we look at, looking at those benefits in addition to that is, hey, they come out of high school uh, with with any of these, as long as their uh, credits are accepted, uh, they could theoretically take their two- or four-year college degrees and, and escalate their completion time. So, right. I mean, you uh, look, our daughter will go in, she'll start next fall as a sophomore um, in what would be her true freshman year of college. But she she has enough hours to start as a sophomore. Um, you look at her friend that graduated last year. She had her associates. She went she went to another high school um, in another county and had her associates. 
So her four-year degree, she's got two years left. Because she's basically continuing in what her two-year was in. Right. You know, it's set up pretty right. much. So, the, so in addition to uh, speeding that up, so now uh, an 18-year-old graduating high school, plus or minus, as we know just a little bit, um, they'll be able to graduate with a university or four-year degree by the time 20. they're 20. Right. Uh, and, you know, based on, depending on uh, what options that are out there, because there's uh, do, obviously in different locations, grants are going to be available to some that may not be available to others, but uh, may also be done a little bit more economically as well. Right. A lot of these, um, a lot of these students that are able to do this, whether they do, uh, and it's really more of the dual enrollment, dual credit, um, AP, the AP class is free, but the AP test is expensive. Uh, we paid for a couple, <laughs> four or five, maybe. I don't even know how many we paid for at this point, but they're all about a hundred dollars um, a piece, if not more. Um, but when you look at the dual enrollment and dual credit, like the school that I was at, where that was kind of our focus, the kids didn't have to pay. Um, the the school system bought their college textbooks. Um, now, what it used there, Tennessee Promise, because it was affiliated with a community college. But it was an opportunity for them to get those things taken care of uh, at a drastically reduced rate. Um, so that was, you know, for some of those kids, that was a real benefit. Um, you know, you take two years worth of price tag off, that that's a significant chunk. Certainly. So... One of the things that we note is most of these are built around either something that is, again, a, a, a workforce ready, a credential type class, mm -hmm. uh, or general education. Uh, but there are, as we just mentioned a minute ago, your uh, previous institution had uh, focus on four. We had four tracks. Four tracks. Mm -hmm. uh, but once a student got into those tracks, and this isn't necessarily only those locations because you can kind of drive your dual education um, how you want. Most of the AP stuff is going to focus primarily in your general education requirements. They don't get into right. uh, specifics. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to lean towards the, the dual enrollment side. But uh, you can find yourself into a track that once you get into it, going into another route may be rather difficult. So what about that student that you know, hey, they this this looks really cool. Uh, you know, you got to admit, you know, from your side, criminal justice, cybersecurity, those things all have a really neat appeal, but you have to be a certain type of individual when you get into it. So they get into those tracks and they start, and they realize this ne isn't necessarily for me. And now they have stuff, and it's very difficult to transfer over. Well, one of the nice things, at least in the state of Tennessee. Uh, when you look at the community colleges, um, is they have these Tennessee transfer pathways. And if you have an associates, a full associates, not like an associates of applied science, but if they got an associates of science in criminal justice, that will transfer in a certain way to most of the four-year institutions in the state. Um, I know at the institution I'm at, if they transfer in with an associates, that pretty much takes care of all their gen eds. Uh, and we just know that. We know that coming in. Um, there's some things that sometimes we'll have to substitute because they went a certain path. Um, but it's not necessarily 
at that point, is it's not that hard, um, but it can be. And one of the things that um, I don't, I don't, I know you're not asking me about problems with it yet, but one of the issues that I have with dual enrollment is at the school that I was at, it was a, a pretty laid out pathway. Like you chose one of four pathways and then there were two tracks in each pathway. So the pathway that I was in charge of was Homeland Security. There was a criminal justice track and a cybersecurity track. And you chose one of those. And once you were in it, you were in it for four years of high school. Um, they ended up starting to let people switch after I left. But in actuality, it was pretty much mostly you're in for four years. When you look at most of the schools, the way they do dual enrollment, which is not that way. That was a very, very uncommon school. Um, when you look at those schools, there's not a whole lot of advising that goes on. So like with our daughter, as she has taken dual enrollment classes and wanted to take more and more classes, um, she gets me, right? Because that prior to me moving into a faculty position, that was my full-time position was as an advisor. It's really hard to make sure that they're taking the right things. And I know what I'm doing. You know, I mean, I, I do this all day. Um, so I guess one of my drawbacks on dual enrollment is part of that advising piece of it. Of Do they just take courses with our daughter? There's been a couple courses that she's just taken because she wanted to take a dual enrollment math. But she had to take one that was offered at the right time for her to get from the high school to the university. So is it something she's going to need? Maybe or maybe not. Um, so I think that, you know, sometimes kind of with what you're going into of, you know, what if the kid changes their mind? Well, half of them don't even know what they will do. And then if they don't have somebody, you know, that's really helping them pick, if they're picking because, I mean, like in her in her case, this semester, she wanted to take a dual enrollment math. So she's in the only dual enrollment math that was offered at the time that fit the slot that she had. I don't know whether that's going to work or not, or if it's just going to end up being an elective. Now, she says she wants to be a surgeon, so she will have plenty of math and science, so it's not like that's going to be a big deal. But there is that to keep in mind, is when, you know, as you're looking at dual enrollment classes, what is it you want to do so that you don't end up just taking random classes? So one of the things that I know <clears throat> when I was in high school, we had the career advisors, we had our, you know, our guidance counselors, career advisor, you had to go see them and, and talk. <clears throat> but they all were like, hey, you need to kind of figure out. But like some people go into college and they'll figure out what they want then. Right. Now really is trying to say, hey, you're in high school. You need to pick what you want to be when you grow up. And, you know, you're still saying that to me to this day. And, uh, you know, and what we're doing is talking about these individuals that, uh, you know, have very little in their decision making anyways. You know, they're, they're not making decisions on who to vote for. They're not making decisions on you know, 
this, that, or the other, you know, a lot of that's based on us. And, and so now they're saying, hey, this is what you want to be when you grow up. And that can be very difficult. And, and as you said, you know, what you may do now may not be what you end up doing in the future. Well, and that's something that whether they do dual enrollment or not. I mean, I was going to be a veterinarian until I got to my freshman year in high school. And then I was going to be a band director. And I was going to be a band director all four years of high school. And I was going to be a band director for a year and a half of college. And then I dropped out. And let's see, I managed a formal wear store. I was a pharmacy tech. I worked as website and graphic design for the church. In the midst of all that, I decided I was going to be an elementary school teacher. Went back, was trying to do the elementary school thing. Realized that, A, I'm not a fan of small children. (laughs) (laughs) I do like kids, y'all, but, like, come on. I'm not. I can't do that every day. Props to elementary school teachers, especially those of you that are elementary school teachers right now trying to teach kindergartners how to use Zoom because that sounds awful. Um, You know, but then I changed and I just needed to finish a degree. So I finished my bachelor's in sociology. 12 years after I had started it and then went back to get a master's in criminal justice because I wanted to teach criminal justice and that was going to be it. I wasn't ever going to get another degree. And now we're two more degrees down and I swear that one's it. (laughs) I'm not going back anymore. Um, But there is something to that. There's a, we see a lot of that anyway. The one thing I do like about some of the advanced placement, uh, and the dual credit is that it does give kids a little bit of exploration in a safe space where it's not maybe quite as consequential. Um, you know, if, if you don't do great on the AP test, so what, you've still got the grade that you made in the AP class that goes towards your GPA. Um, and you've kind of explored a little bit of a different pathway. So I like them for that. Um, I just think we have to be careful. And can't just throw them out there, here, go, do, learn, right? Um, I will also say there is a difference when you're teaching, whether you're teaching. um, I have taught a straight dual credit class as a high school teacher. I have taught dual enrollment to only high school kids in the room. And then I have also taught a regular class that had dual enrollment students in it. And that's a much different ball game um, with different things to keep in mind. And it's not that you're giving out different assignments because the whole point is that they're taking the college class. But sometimes it's the life experience. Um, When I taught, see, I taught a corrections class that was a dual enrollment class and it was about half and half with regular college students and dual enrollment high school students. Those were very different life experiences that they had had. Um, uh, my juvenile delinquency class, same way. That's, that's a very, very different set of life experiences. It's a very different mindset. Um, even if you go, you know, to college in your hometown, directly after high school, there's a lot of growing up that happens that year. Um, So sometimes those harder concepts, you have to think of different ways to explain them when you're teaching them. Uh, They can be actually harder to teach than just your regular class. 
So that, that's, that makes a perfect segue into our, our next part of this, <clears throat> which kind of gets us out of the concept of uh, dual enrollment, dual credit, uh, and AP, and, and talks a little bit more about the individual itself. So you and I, you and I especially when you were uh, going through your education classes initially, uh, we had a lot of conversations about what is the best K-12 construct. And you know, which was, we don't agree on. Which we don't agree on. <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't know that I'm set one way or another. But I, I, there are a couple things, <clears throat> and the idea is, you know, are we talking about adding a uh, a, a junior high and then a high school? You know, basically where that ninth grade year is yes. is what it really boils down Sixth to. Sixth grade and ninth grade. Those <clears throat> are the, yeah. Those are the two that we tend to disagree on. And so bringing that in, I know this isn't a K-12 conversation, but uh, bringing that in, the conversation that we have is as a rising high school freshman, a ninth grader, in a, a middle school concept that has uh, six, seven, eight, and then your nine through 12 is in high school. That ninth grade student is uh, the low man on the totem pole now. They are having to make that jump into a new atmosphere um, in an area that has higher order thinking or should be higher order thinking uh, with the higher age grade age ranges, those 10th through 12th graders uh, that are starting to drive, that are starting to work, that are starting to take on additional responsibilities. And they have the ability to socially develop. Uh, this is my thoughts. They have the ability to socially develop into that new realm while they don't have those additional responsibilities. If we move that ninth grade year back into a junior high, now where we have seven, eight, nine, in there, then that ninth grade year, that social development that occurs is going to occur when they go to 10th grade, when they have additional responsibilities. That's where we question a lot. And, and you know, that's just my thought there. So now what we have is looking at that, just doing that on the higher education level. So now not are, are we talking about the ninth grade year. Now we're talking about where they're going to be when 13 and 14 are done that freshman and sophomore year of school is complete. So as you were mentioning just a minute ago with that dual enrollment corrections class, you were talking about the fact that you had students uh, of the adult age and then those in high school, and they had different life experiences. So they came at it a lot different. And so now we're talking about, in the concept of your previous institution, they were had the ability to come out of high school at 18, plus or minus, you know, a little bit, and go directly to a university now at the junior age. And so they're going in with at 18 with students that are 20, 21 years old. Right. You know, and I think, um, I just keep thinking back to what our daughter said. So her junior year, she had AP classes for her first block. She had a service learning class for her set there on a block schedule. So her second block was service learning. Her third block was a dual enrollment with a local community college that came to them um, two days a week. And then her fourth block, she had dual enrollment at the university where I teach and had a math class. And she did that for spring. I, remember she, I think she did that for fall, too. She had another dual enrollment class. I just don't remember what it was. But when she was looking at classes to take her senior year, 
her comment was, I don't want to do all the dual enrollment because on the days that she didn't have the dual enrollment with the community college where they came to them, they got to leave after second block. So she was at school from 8 until 11, 11.30, somewhere in there, and would leave. And her comment was, I feel like I just missed my whole junior year of high school. Now, add into that a pandemic, um, a lost track season, a lost prom, you know, I mean, like we got some other things going on. But she was really adamant that her senior year, she wanted to have three on-campus classes um, and then just do one dual, dual enrollment class. So she's doing, um, she's got two AP classes that switch back and forth. For first, she's got a service learning class again, and then she's got another AP class for third, and then leaves early um, and has her university class two days a week. But it was very interesting to me her comment was, I feel like I've missed my whole junior year of high school because she was only there for half a day. She has friends that were doing dual enrollment first block and dual enrollment fourth, you know. And now, like I said, there's some additional things in there that went into it. But that was her big thing. I just, I don't want to be gone half the day. I want to be at school. She could have graduated early. She could be graduating in December. And made the choice, I don't want to do that. I want to keep going. I want my senior year. I wanted what she thought was going to be a normal senior year, which we all know that's gone to pot. But that was her whole thing. I want a normal senior year. Um, on the flip side of that, I can remember when I taught at a community college, I had a student, and she was a normal college student. She had graduated early. Um, she had been homeschooled and she graduated her homeschool high school at 15. So at 16, she was a freshman at the community college. And there were so many things that she did not understand. Now, I'm talking about classes in juvenile delinquency. So, you know, she's still a juvenile. Like she's still in that age. It's hard to look back, right? We can all look back on the things we did. It didn't take long. It took, what, a year at, when you're out of high school to look back on the things you did in high school and be like, oh, my gosh, that was so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> he's, yeah. You yeah. should be able to see. Uh, yeah. I wish I could see him because yeah. he's looking at me like, okay. No, I completely agree with that. It's uh, a lot of times, especially, you know, it's a conversation about seniors, you know, like nothing – is going to affect them. Uh, you know, they, they're uh, immune, they're superheroes, they're going to go out and do everything, and then they come out and they get into that collegiate world, and it's like, I'm really not. Yeah, I really don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> now, the other side, I don't know, I think I've said the flip side three or four times. Um, the other piece of that is, because our daughter has taken these dual enrollment classes, and when she comes to the university for her dual enrollment class, she may be the only high school kid in there. Um, and it may be freshmen. It may be juniors. She has learned a lot about herself and how to study and what her limits are. And she had grown a lot from being around college students. Um, and I think, I do think it can be good for them socially 
but I go back to what I said at the beginning with dual enrollment. It's got to be more than just, I want to take a dual enrollment class. Um, and there's a difference between dual enrollment when the professor comes to your high school and teaches it, and when you go out to the college and you're the only high school kid in the room. Um, now, she has had uh, one of her classes, I know they were doing some group work, and her group got really irritated because they wanted to do their group work stuff at like 10 in the morning because that was when they all had a break. And she's like, oh, I can't. Um, I'm in school. I'm at the high school. You know, so it can be frustrating. Um, it has not been without its challenges. It can be good socially if you have a kid that already socially excels. If you have a kid that was like me when I was a senior in high school, I would have shut down. Totally shut down. Um, I am not, uh, people may find this hard to believe, I am not an extrovert. I am very shy and very much an introvert. Um, David is my exact opposite. <laughs> he loves to talk to everybody, and I don't. I don't want to be in a room full of people that I don't know. So knowing myself as a high school student, I would have failed at dual enrollment because I did not have the social capabilities to go out and do what needed to be done. Now, you did mention it, and it's kind of interesting. You're talking about our daughter. One of the things, when you place, a lot of times when you place people in these difficult situations, there's really two ways to go. You either are going to adapt and overcome, or you're not. And so when you're talking about the social development of these individuals, you're going to have some you're going to have some that no matter what situation they're going to go into, they're going to excel. You're going to have some that no matter what they go into, they're going to fail. Uh, and then you're going to have those that are in the middle. And really, you know, for the most part, we're talking about those that are kind of in the middle and growing. And so that social development is definitely one of those things that is key. Um, we're talking about a as we've talked about here with our uh, previous episodes on soft skills and uh, developing those, there may be some of those that they haven't gotten into, that as they get into those university 300, 400 level classes, the, the higher level uh, classes, now they're going to have to escalate how quickly they pick up on some of those social skills or the soft skills that they didn't necessarily have the prep for. So it's going to make it a little bit more challenging at that level. Oh, yeah. I can remember... Um... <laughs> during one of her classes, she was frustrated and she couldn't figure out how to do something. It was like 9.30 at night. And I looked at her and said, email your professor. I think it's too late to email him. That's what she told me. It's too late to email him. And I was like, do you think he's checking it right now? I said, go on and email him so he knows that you were working on it tonight. Right. Don't wait until tomorrow when it's due and then email him. Like, email him so that he knows you've been working on it as it's been going. Uh, and we had to have a whole conversation about it's okay, like, I mean, I don't know about you. I don't care if somebody emails me at midnight, email away. I'd much rather you email me and me be able to tell that, Hey, you've been working on it. than to wait and get your email, you know, at 10 AM for a 10 30 class. So it has been good for her. Because she had a support system that understands 
how that works. I mean, you run some dual credit courses too, so I'm not the only one in the room that's that's played this game. Um, but you're smiling at me. You're giving me that weird smile. No, I, I just, I, I, when you said that, I was thinking about the time last semester or last year when she went with me on the job shadowing day and she got to go with me to the dual enrollment class. Yes. That, that we had. And uh, it was quite interesting when those individuals thought that she was much further along than she was because she could answer all the questions about the profession and they could not. Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> but there, I mean, there's something to be said. So I, in my mind, when we evaluate a student for dual enrollment, there has to be an evaluation of a support structure. Now I'm not saying that every, that your kid should only do dual enrollment. If you've got college professors as parents, but like that is not what I'm saying at all. It probably more sane for your kids. If yeah, you, yeah if it's they probably not. better for your kids. Um, if she was here, I'm fairly confident in speaking for her that she would say this would have been much easier if her parents were not college professors. Um, because perhaps we ask questions from a professor's standpoint instead of a parent standpoint sometimes. But the thing to keep in mind is there has to be some support structure in place, whether that's parental support, whether it's tutoring from the institution, whatever it is. So the institution that she's doing dual enrollment with right now, uh, of course, it's pandemic. We're in COVID, um, which alters everything. But it, it's the institution where I work, and there are they have certain nights each week that there are student tutors for those classes. And she has been able to do that, even though they've been doing them by Zoom this year uh, or this semester. I keep saying this year because I don't even, no lie, I still think we're in March. This is like the 7,000th day of March, I feel like. But that's okay, the Christmas tree's up. Um, <laughs> but there is there's something to be said about what are the supports in place for those dual enrollment students when I taught the dual enrollment classes for this institution, it was also a big deal that those students knew, hey, you are a student. That means you have access to everything, every other student. If you want to come work out in the facilities, come work out in the facilities. If you need to use the library, go to the library. Like everything that a normal student has, those dual enrollment students have too. Um, and that was a much bigger deal at this institution than at previous institutions where I've worked. And, and one of the key things with that is a lot of the students, as you mentioned, when the college professor comes to the campus, their high school campus, they still are in that high school environment. And therefore, they only think that that is what they have access to. Right. Uh, but it's not. And so a lot of times what they end up doing is going to their high school counselors or their high school advisors to say, hey, I'm having issues with this, when really they should be going to... Their professor. their professor or the resources that the institution have because right. they're again geared towards you know the, the high school guidance counselors and, and advisors they're designed for that high school environment and when you're talking about the higher education environment you, you go to those advisors and go to those counselors at that level and that's where their focus is going to be so making sure you get the right resources at the right time right so um, anybody that's looking at dual enrollment that's that's my I guess maybe my biggest thing when people ask me, should my kid do dual enrollment is where they want to do it and what's the support system. 
Like, how are you going to support this child? Because they've got to have it. Because when you take a high school senior and you put them in a class with college students, hey, that's a weird spot because on the one hand, you're a high school senior. You're a big man on campus. And then you go to your next class and you're a tiny fish in a small, <laughs> tiny fish in a large pond. You know, so you've kind of got to navigate a couple roles. Um, my joke is it's a little bit of a dual personality. Um, but it has to, you have to support that. And there's some interesting things that go with that. Um, you know, our daughter, she's gone to your campus and helped with stuff. She's, she has come to my campus. She came to my campus, obviously not this year because we weren't able to have homecoming, but last year when she was a junior in high school, she came to my campus to help us with homecoming. And some of my students wanted to hit on her. They were like, hey, who's that? And I'm like, that's my daughter. She's 15. <laughs> right? Like, that's a very real thing. It is. Um, and when you look at the social implications of dual enrollment and dual credit and AP, that's another piece of it is, is that person socially, emotionally ready to be with the big kids for lack of a better, better term. Um, now fun fact, I call all my students, my kids, I always have, uh, even when I was teaching community college and I had students that were 20 years older than I was, they're still my kids. So when I say the big kids, that's not anything ugly. That's just how I think of my students. Um, because I very much mother everybody. According to my mom, I have mothered everybody all of my life. My first day of preschool, when she picked me up, they told her I was a mother hen. And I had shown everybody exactly how they needed to do things. I know that strikes you as very... You don't believe that, right, hon? Nope, not at all. <laughs> I don't ever tell anybody how to do things. Um, so in my mind that that support system can be the biggest thing that will help determine the student success in dual, in dual enrollment. So if you are listening, this is somebody that's thinking about dual enrollment cause you've, you've Googled and all of a sudden our podcast has come up and you look at dual enrollment, dual credit or advanced placement is out there. As we've, as we've talked about, there's both positives and negatives when you take a look at the, at both of the or all three of these uh, aspects, and really it's just kind of finding where your student uh, fits in and and which one's going to fit their goals the best and provide the flexibility they need. So if they're a hundred percent certain, like our daughter's been on on uh, she she's focused in a couple of different areas, but surgery has kind of been her goal. We we kind of have a relatively solid path on the direction that she. Uh, it's should always be been heading. medicine. It's always been medicine. Been pediatric neurosurgery and trauma surgery and emergency doc and a couple of different uh, areas, but we, we know that. But uh, so we've had a little bit more firm pathway. And uh, while we, we know that there's some that could help and some that, that may not, uh, we have that path. So if your student isn't as rigid as that, and they may be looking at a couple of different pathways, take a look at what those options are out there. Look at the, especially those advanced placement that just. They provide you those gen ed requirements, give you some uh, bump in your GPA, and uh, look at those opportunities, and then add in the dual enrollment, uh, dual credit uh, options as they come. So, 
all of them have their positives and, and definitely put that support structure behind and, and make sure they know and, and develop those soft skills uh, needed uh, at those levels. So next week's episode is going to talk about uh, things a little bit uh, more about higher education. Uh, there's been a whole lot of conversation about whether college is needed or not. Uh, you know, there, there's been a push over the last several years to, to send individuals and, and to, to get to the uh, at least two-year, if not four-year degree. Our, uh, our prior governor had a drive to 55 looking for uh, a certain percent of individuals to have a higher education degrees. But then there's also a large amount about trade skills as well. And is there room for both? So it's going to be a very interesting topic uh, next week. I do actually. I'm going to slide this in on him because he didn't know I was going to do it. Um, so the tip of the week. This is my tip of the week. Now, I will tell you, by the time this comes out, you're going to be like, what? Okay, we're recording this. This is the Sunday before Thanksgiving is when we're recording. Um, so maybe that'll be helpful. But there's a an author that I read a ton of, um, Bob Goff, if you have not read Bob Goff. Bob Goff books. They are very, very good. Um, but one of his books, uh, it's a 365 day journey. Uh, and I have been reading that and I read it a few weeks ago and it was talking about gratitude. Um, and the day that I read it, I was not feeling super grateful for much of anything. I don't know if you are like me and Maybe this year has taken more of a toll on you than what you want to think about or want to um, admit, but it has taken more of a toll on me than what I like to think about or what I want to admit. And that particular day, I was having a really hard day and didn't really feel super grateful for much of anything. In fact, I'm pretty sure I told one of my coworkers that if death was the only way to get off of this particular committee, um, I knew multiple ways to kill myself. Mm. Uh, and I'm not even really sure if I was joking or not, um, just because I wanted to be off the committee. And so I read this, and one of the things that he talked about was how someone he knew had done a gratitude list. And it really kind of struck me, because he was talking about changing the way that we think. And he was talking about being, whether you're a glass half full or a glass half empty, and that he was neither a pessimist or an optimist. He instead looked at his glass regardless of how much was in it and said hey at least there's stuff in my glass uh, and that really hit me that day um so i have been doing a gratitude list every morning uh, and i actually for accountability i i go live on my instagram um and do this every day but i challenged my students uh, my students who are teachers specifically i challenged to do this, uh, I have shown them this little book that I used to keep on my desk uh, that I would write things in. And I told them, I said, do it when you get to work. When you get in your classroom, make that, you know, turn your lights on. Before you do anything else, make that the first thing you're going to do. And so the reason I did that is because all of a sudden that changes it to where you are being grateful for the fact that you are moving and breathing and you know yeah maybe we're frustrated with those kids but 
we're super grateful for them as well. So do your gratitude list. It doesn't have to be big things. It can be little things. Um, you know, a lot of times during the month of November, people really want to do these huge grateful lists. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, I always say, I'm going to do that. And then I watch other people's lists and they talk about these big things and how wonderful things are. And sometimes, y'all, I'm just grateful for a cup of coffee and, you know, that the lights came on this morning, uh, that it's not raining, Christmas tree lights, you know, things like that. So my 10, my tip of the week is to do 10 things you're grateful for every day, first thing in the morning. All right. So as we conclude today, we'd like to say that we always look forward to recording these episodes and engaging with each of you. So please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. As you know, we've uh, currently gone live on seven different platforms, including Apple and Google, Spotify, Breaker, and a couple of others. But also don't forget to follow us on Twitter at PerfectChaos7. And we are also live now on Instagram at the same uh, handle perfect chaos seven. So you can also reach us personally. Uh, you can reach me personally on Twitter and, uh, Instagram as well at DSBLEV, D-S-B-L-E-V. And you can reach Rhonda at, uh, on Twitter, it's at D-R-R Blevins. And on Instagram, it's at Rhonda M-B, R-O-N-D-A-M-B. So until next week, remain calm in your perfect chaos. Have a blessed week. 